great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the show, and with me again is my good friend and well-bearded co-host, Cameron. How are you, sir? I am doing well, sir. I am fired up. Baseball season starts next week uh, for my team. I know that I spend most of my time, obviously, on this show talking about pro-life stuff, and and that is absolutely one of my, my biggest passions. Um, baseball is near and dear to my heart. Um, and our league starts next week. I can't wait. Um, and I'm not saying that just to rub it in your face, Peter. I know that things are not quite at the same spot in Ontario, but how are you, sir? How are you hanging in there? Yeah, they're not. I, I'm hanging in here. I'm a soccer guy. My soccer season's really messed up. Um, but the, the the boat launches are open and I also enjoy fishing. And there's some fishing tournaments coming up, which I'm going to be a part of. So I'm extremely excited for that. For those of you who are new to the show, we are the uh, two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children here in Canada. And we started this podcast to give you the tools that you need to change hearts and minds from abortion. We spend time on the streets. We have conversations with those around us. And we want to share with you what we've learned uh, so that you two can have really good conversations. Before we get into the topic of the day, I just want to bring your attention to our Patreon page. We... Um, you rather can support the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can financially partner with us, be part of the movement, be part of the mission that we have here at the podcast to equip those, not just in Canada, not just in the United States, but we have listeners around the world, equip pro-lifers around the world to have those really effective and winsome conversations about abortion so that we can face the culture of death head on as a group, not just as Cam and I, but as a group who, who learn well, uh, who know the apologetics, we can take on a culture of death with a message of life. There's also some perks on the to become a becoming a patron. Uh, Cam, you had mentioned uh, in another talk that we did, another episode that we did about a roundtable discussion and the perks that are going to be involved um, in being involved and being there hmm. for the roundtable discussion that we're having with two pro life leaders. Could you could you briefly touch on that for a moment? Absolutely. So one of the coolest things about this podcast that I've found, Peter, is that I get to meet a lot of my heroes in the movement. We've been able to talk to Stephanie Gray Connors and Scott Klusendorf and Lila Rose and countless others. And we want to pass that privilege along to our Patreon supporters. And so we are doing a roundtable, a live interactive roundtable discussion in July with two incredible pro-life leaders, Scott Klusendorf, um, and Jonathan Van Maren, Peter and I, you'll be, we'll be talking with them. And this is going to be like a pretty intimate, pretty down to earth kind of conversation. We're just going to do it on a video call where you can like ask your questions. You can give your feedback. You can ask them about their journeys. You can ask them about what is coming down the tube. We're going to have some cool announcements coming from that. 
basically an opportunity for you to get to talk to Scott Klusendorf and Jonathan Van Maren, which I think is pretty cool. Both of them are awesome. This has been one of the privileges that I've had on the show. Peter, I know that you've loved meeting Scott as well. Obviously, we've known Jonathan for quite a while. Um, we want to do this quarterly where we get to um, provide opportunities for you to meet some of these cool pro-life leaders. And so that's coming up in July. More details to come right around the corner here, um, but stay tuned for more on that. And, and Kim, one question from me. How do we get, how do we be a part of that? How, how can we join up on this roundtable discussion? How can we uh, have a chance to ask our, our favorite Jonathan Van Maren and our favorite Scott Klusendorf uh, a question or two? Well, you got to be a Patreon. You got to be a Patreon supporter, a supporter at any level, whether you're coming in at the $5 a month level or $25 a month or whatever we have up on patreon.com slash guys. If you are a Patreon supporter, you will get an invite to that round table. Um, you'll be able to join. Hopefully we can find a time that works for as many of you as possible. Um, and we'll go from there. So you got to be a patron um, to do that. And so if you haven't signed up yet, please sign up now because spaces are somewhat limited because we do want this to be a, an opportunity for you to ask, be able to ask your questions. And so as much as we'd love um, hundreds of new Patreon supporters, um, we're going we're gonna to have to only welcome in probably the first 30 or so people and so if you sign up um, as soon as possible, you'll be able to get in there, you'll get the link, you'll be able to interact with with the four of us and each other as well, which is going to be pretty cool. Beauty. All right, everyone, that's patreon.com slash guys. patreon.com slash guys. There's also some other merch that we're working on, some shirts, some other things. Um, so go check it out. And some scotch glasses, which we've talked about before and Cam's extremely excited about. patreon.com slash guys. All right, let's dive into the topic at hand today. For those of you who have done street activism, who've gone out on the streets, had conversations about abortion, undoubtedly you've undoubted, undoubtedly you've met folks who are pro-life. You've talked to people when you've asked them what they thought about abortion. They, they say they're against abortion. Uh, sometimes they may have an exception or two with some of the hard circumstances and you're able to have that conversation. You're able to change their mind. Uh, they turn against abortion in all circumstances, recognizing the humanity of preborn children. But then those people just don't really care enough about abortion to do anything about it. And it's interesting that when you look at polling in Canada, you see that the majority of people want some sort of restriction on abortion. I mean, we talked in a, a conversation we had with MP, Member of Parliament, Kathy Wagenthal, several weeks ago, that 84% of Canadians say that sex selective, like say they're against sex selective abortion. Abortion on the basis of, you know, my, this, my child is a girl and I don't want a girl. My child's a boy and I don't want a boy. Most people are against that. But polling also shows that abortion is not an, elect, uh, an election issue, which means people care to a certain degree, but they don't care enough to do something about it. And so when you ask them in the comfort of their homes, do you want legislation for this specific reason? They, they might say yes, they might say no. Uh, in some cases, the majority of Canadians will say yes, but they don't want to get that legislation. People don't want to get up, don't want to do something, don't want to call their member of parliament, don't want to uh, get involved in politics in any way, don't want to go to the streets, have the conversations, talk about it, and try to change their family members' minds or whoever it might be, because there's this level of apathy. And that's what we want to talk about today. How do we, when we're in conversations with other pro-lifers, how do we deal with apathy, with people who recognize there might be a problem, but don't see the problem as big enough 
to actually constitute doing anything in the first place. So this is what we're going to, going to get into. I hope to frame the conversation. Cam has a lot of really, really good thoughts. Now, Cam, when we talk about apathy, there's often a distinction that you like to make, a distinction between moral relativism and apathy. So as we dive into this conversation, could you share that distinction a little bit and why you think that's a, an important distinction to make? Yeah, I think it's important because it's going to um, really dictate the flow of the conversation. Where are we going? Is it a matter of trying to demonstrate that abortion is wrong and immoral for the um, moral relativist? Or is it a matter of simply conveying the gravity and the importance of the issue for somebody who recognizes, sure, it's wrong, we don't like abortion, but I don't know if I'm going to do anything about it. So often I see this played out when I, so the, the common opening question that we ask, whether we're doing choice chain, whether we're door knocking, whatever it may be, what do you think about abortion? If somebody says, I don't really care, or I don't know, I don't care, asking those kind of questions to clarify, is this a matter of this person genuinely does not believe that there is such thing as objective right and wrong? Or, or is it just a matter of they haven't actually put the, the thought towards the abortion issue to decide whether or not um, they need to do anything about it? And I guess this is important because one, one presupposes the other, right? There's no sense in trying to motivate somebody to do something about something they don't believe is wrong or if they don't believe that anything is wrong. It's just a, a waste of time. And so you want to try to figure out, okay, well, um, don't care about it. Can I ask, did you know that abortion happens nearly 300 times every day in Canada? Offering perspective is going to be a prevailing theme that we're going to see throughout this conversation that kind of anchors the severity of this injustice and will often tell you a lot about where they're at on responding to injustice in general. If it's a matter of you do you, um, I, I don't care what you do, do whatever you want. It's not my choice. Don't tell me what to do and I won't tell you what to do. That's going to come out fairly quickly. Um, and, and we'll do a full episode on how to navigate um, more relativism as well. But this is a matter of trying to differentiate between whether or not they view anything as bad or whether they view some things as bad, but just a, a hierarchy of injustice, as it were, what actually demands attention, what actually demands action. Does that make sense, Peter? It does. Yeah, yeah, that certainly does. Thank you for that. Now, when we think about apathy, when we're in conversations on the streets, I guess it's easy to assume that people are apathetic. And, and I just want to give the clarification. I'm apathetic in many ways, and it's something I need to fight. And I don't know if you as well, Cam. So it's not like, you know, we're on the, this high ground here and all the others over there uh, have problems that we're not dealing with. But Often when we think about apathy, we think of that it's, you know, merely a symptom of selfishness and perhaps nothing more. But when you talk about apathy, Cam, you often make it several distinctions um, and highlight different kinds of people or different kinds of apathy. So could you share that with us? Why are, in your estimation and, and just looking at the different types of people, why are people apathetic? Yeah. So the, the way I look at it, Peter, and, and based on experience, just talking to different kinds of people, I see there as being four main areas that people fall into as to why they're apathetic. Um, and, and the first one is probably the most frustrating and part of the reason why we're doing this episode. Um, the first one is just they're a complete asshole. 
they're, they're just a prick and they don't care about anybody apart from themselves. They're that person who genuinely is just super selfish and really doesn't care what goes on around them. Um, I mentioned this and I chuckle off the top. My, my colleague Quian and I were doing some door knocking a couple of weeks ago and we knocked on this guy's door who was this perfect example of a grade A prick. Like the guy just did not care about anybody. He recognized that there was right and wrong, right and wrong for himself. He recognized that other people can make right and wrong decisions, but he just genuinely did not care if anybody else suffered some kind of violence. Not because he thought violence should happen, not because he thought that it was right. He just didn't want to do anything to bother stopping it. Yeah, you shouldn't rob my neighbor, but if you did, I wouldn't do anything to stop you. Yeah, no, you, you totally should not sexually assault somebody, but if I saw somebody doing it, I wouldn't even bother calling cops. Like, I just don't care. And we'll talk about how to navigate that. Second kind of person that I, I often meet is people who are just overwhelmed by the, the magnitude of and the variety of injustices. They're, they're paralyzed by the, the volume and variety of injustices. And they say, like, how can I dedicate my time towards this? How can I care about this when there's so many other things to care about? Like, I could care about that and I can care about that. There's just so many things wrong in the world that this is a defense mechanism. I'm just not going to care. Because as soon as I start caring, then I'm, I'm going to get hurt. And there's, like, where do I stop caring? I just don't want to go down that road. Number three are the people who are apathetic towards a specific cause. And I see this particularly towards people in the pro-life movement where we talk with a lot of people who are not generally apathetic, but are specifically apathetic, who say, like, I don't really care about abortion. I care about homelessness. I care about famine overseas. I care about racism and sexism and other things. I just don't care about abortion. And so you've got one is that prick who doesn't care about anything. Two is that person who's overwhelmed by everything. And because of that, they're not involved in anything. Three is the person who is involved in something. They just don't think that the something that you're involved with matters. And four is the person who has been involved with something, has gotten burnt out, and can no longer bring themselves to care. This isn't something who's in that category too, that they don't know where to start. This is somebody that... They, they have tried. They have tried to care. They've maybe put themselves out there. They've made sacrifices. They've been vulnerable and they've been burnt by it. Either they've been rejected by the people that they're trying to care for. Either they've gotten burnt out from people not responding or being apathetic towards them. And they figured, I can't do this anymore. I guess I'm going to have to adopt apathy as well. But those are kind of the four general categories that I see people kind of falling into. I'm sure there's other reasons why people are apathetic, but that's where I see them falling. And I think there's slightly different ways to navigate each and every one of them. I'm sure, Peter, that you've seen examples of people who fit into the different categories, but maybe let's dive into what we do for each of them. Yeah, sounds good. I I, I chuckle when you talk about uh, that that gentleman that you you and your our colleague Koyana uh, talked to who just was super selfish, didn't care about anyone else. I had a very similar conversation that I'll never forget with a man in Windsor, Ontario. And he was exact same way. Like, even if you, you asked him questions, you know, if, if someone did something to him, if someone, uh, interfered with his life in any way, um, he just, he, he, he had, he had money. Um, but in a sense, he was so like, I have security in this, um, I have my own security system and I have all of this stuff that's never going to happen. And if anything happens to anyone else, I just could not be inconvenienced to do anything about it. We even got to the point where I asked him, like, if there was a little kid across the street getting 
like beat up and kicked by an older man, would you do anything? And his response was no. Like it's just it was just too much for him to do anything. Um, and and he was far too comfortable in the life that he was living. So, Kim, I'm just curious. Do you want to um, do you want to to beef out these four a little bit more? Or should we dive right into how we're going to respond to them when we're on the streets? Let's dive straight into how we're going to respond to each of these scenarios. We'll talk through a few different examples of like how they've manifest in in our experience and how we navigate them. But but I say let's dive right in and and maybe we'll start with that prick. And and these are often the the most difficult people, obviously to. Um, to navigate it's a matter of you're you're trying to pull on heartstrings you're trying to get them to care about something and i think that what you you briefly mentioned there this idea of trying to find the breaking point that for a lot of people it's difficult to get motivated or they find it difficult to get motivated about abortion because it seems so abstract these are humans that they can't interact with they can't listen to a sob story they can't hear about what's going on and and respond in charity and so it's really easy to reject them and, and not think about them. I think what you did, finding that breaking point, bringing it closer and closer to home. Sometimes I'll say, okay, well, um, what would you do if instead of 300 preborn children that you've never met before, it was 300 kindergarten students who were in the school down the road from your house? What would you do if you knew that they were going to get killed today? And sometimes I'll clarify that I'm not necessarily asking for profound heroics. I'm not saying that if there's an active shooter situation at that elementary school, that they need to throw themselves in a line of fire. Begging the question like, would you be willing to maybe call the police? If this was happening and it was legal, would you be willing to try to get your elected official to try to stop it from happening? We're not asking you to take a bullet literally, um, though hopefully they, they would be willing to do that or, or would entertain that idea, but challenging them on where is that breaking point and when are you willing to do something to prevent that violence from happening? Making the person more real, starting with, like I said, a, a kindergarten class at the, their local school, moving towards at times even, what if, what if there was somebody in your own life, maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, Basically, you're trying to find somebody that they care about. And you might even need to ask. Like if, if you're fishing, if you're shooting in the dark and you can't find anything, you might ask like, this is weird, but like, who do you care about in the world? Is there anyone in the world that you don't want something bad to happen to? And most people have somebody, right? Most people have somebody if it's a matter of like their, their own child, their own loved one, um, a friend of theirs or something like that trying to find that breaking point where, no, I, I don't want anything to happen to that person. And the second thing is simplifying the action. I mentioned um, th this could be for, for born people, this could be calling the cops to prevent violence from happening. For preborn children, we're not asking them to chain themselves to the front doors of an abortion facility. We're asking them to whether it's equip themselves, the tools they need to have a conversation if it comes up at the workplace. We're asking them to get involved politically or maybe make a donation to their local pregnancy care center. We're trying to make this very manageable for people so that they don't have to put aside everything. We're not asking you to care necessarily so much that you drop everything that you're doing and you dedicate all of your time, energy, and money towards this. We're just asking you to care enough to do something. And I think that clarification helps a lot for them. 
And, and I've seen a lot of success in trying to make this more real to them by bringing it close to home and make it more manageable for them by um, really articulating the fact that they can make a significant difference in the life of a preborn child by doing something very, very simple. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I do have a question, though. Um, let's say you found that breaking point, you found that loved one that they do care about, family member, friend, whoever it might be. Um, and yet you're, you're either you're not able to get them to see abortion or they just see abortion. They're like, yeah, that's not the loved one I care about. Is there a point in a conversation where we say, thank you for the conversation. Like <laughs> it's, it's time for me to move on. Um, like, is there a point for that? Like, how, how would you navigate your way through that? I think it's a great question. And I think that this is something that we as pro-lifers need to be more cognizant of because sometimes these people are just saying it to waste our time, right? I mean, I, I've had people who literally just try to um, string me along because they find it funny to waste my time or they don't want me to talk to other people and try to change their minds on abortion. So you do need to be discerning for why is the person saying this and what is the best use of my time? If, if they are just jerking your chain, then it might make sense to like, I, I really hope that you can consider the fact that if, if you're wrong, if abortion does kill an innocent human being, then we are allowing what could easily be defined as genocide in our country. And how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as somebody who allowed and supported that genocide? Or do you want to be remembered as somebody who did even something very basic to try to stop that from happening? And, and I might just leave them with that. For other people, this can be a profound turning point in their life. This can be like, no, I'm legitimately super selfish and like, I'm not jerking your chain. I genuinely believe that I don't have any um, demands on, on my action. Like, am I my brother's keeper? Um, it's amazing how many times people will say that to me of, am I my brother's keeper? And like, you know where that's from, right? Like, you know the answer to that question. Um, and, and I'll ask them something along the lines of, is the world a better place if there are fewer people who care or more people who care? If, if ever your tire, if, if you get a flat tire, if ever you run out of gas, if ever you need somebody's help, are you going to be more thankful for a world in which there's more people who care and are willing to help or fewer people who care and are willing to help and trying to spend it on them as well and, and draw them in. And so definitely be discerning. Like you said, Peter, are they wasting your time? Can your time be better spent trying to change somebody who's a little bit more productive and a little bit more engaged, but it can also be a lightning rod towards really radically changing somebody's life. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for that. So with that, let's move on to the second one. Let's talk about the person who's overwhelmed by all the needs that are happening, the needs in their city, perhaps the needs in the nation, the needs south of the border for us as Canadians, some of the historical uh, problems that we have had as a nation. Um, and we just see victims all over the place. How would you talk to them? Those who are overwhelmed, they also recognize abortion might be an issue, but just, just cannot get involved um, because of the sheer amount of issues that uh, we are facing in our world today. For sure. And so for, for the first person, for the prick, you want to increase the gravity of the situation and, and compel them emotionally to get engaged by increasing the gravity and severity of what's going on. For this person, they already know that there are very grave things happening. They already know there's a lot of bad stuff happening. What I want to do is that second point that I mentioned previously, I really want to focus on simplifying the action that can help. 
This person is overwhelmed. They don't know where to begin. They don't know, and they know they can't throw their lives down every different um, area, right? They, they can't possibly solve all of the problems. And so they're despondent because of their inability to completely solve everything. And I, I think often of a quote that is attributed to social former Helen Keller. Um, Helen Keller, this wonderful woman who worked to um, improve kind of social acceptance and dignity and rights for people living with disabilities. And she has this quote that's attributed to her that says, I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. The fact that I cannot do everything won't prevent me from doing the little bit that I can do. It should be the opposite. It should motivate me even more to do what I can do and try to inspire others to do so. And so I want to make pro-life action bite-sized for them. For many people that I talk to on the street, that means let's meet for an hour workshop on how to have productive conversations. So at the very least, you're ready to have a conversation if your sister, if your girlfriend, if a coworker ever comes to you and they're considering abortion, just be prepared in case the issue forces itself on you. And then you can take that the next step as you feel comfortable. You can, by dedicating an hour a week, you can have X number of conversations and help this many people change their minds on abortion. You can do pro-life outreach and you can make a substantial difference for the people in your community through very minimal involvement. And that's something that I want to emphasize that they don't have to necessarily radically transform their life to do something on the abortion issue. If they want to, absolutely. We definitely need more people working full-time in the pro-life movement. We definitely need more money in the pro-life movement so that we can hire more interns, so that we can get more boots on the ground, so that we can have more um, pro-life outreach and do more talks and do more traveling and all that kind of stuff. If they want to give us everything in their bank account, then by all means, we will put it to very good use. Um, however, we want to make this as manageable as possible. So whereas for the first example, you're trying to make the issue more profound, on this end, we're actually trying to make it more simple. We're trying to simplify the action that they can do to have a meaningful impact. That's where I would go with it, Peter. I love it. Yeah, I, I love it because when you look at all the issues of the day, it just seems like there's nothing you can actually do. But when you just give, give a, several, a few steps, a few easy things, an hour a week, a training session here, be prepared there, You know, join us for this little thing here. Um, or whatever it might be, there are very concrete steps for us to get involved. And, and I remember a, a conversation I had while going door to door in Brampton, Ontario. And I had a guy who I talked to who was in a very same, very similar position to this. And one of the things that I tried to get him to see is that, you know, even though we can't change the whole world, when we have conversations and we change people's minds, we're changing their world. When we have conversations and a baby is safe from that, that baby's world has been changed because of that. And so we can, you know, through little steps, through the, having those conversations, using these very simple but concrete steps for how we can uh, utilize, you know, the arguments that we've used, that we that we have, and, and, and see people, see change happening, rather, um, we can change the world for some people. We can change their worldview. We can change the lives uh, of those who were destined to die, but are now alive. And so there are very concrete steps. I love it, Cam. I love it. Thank you for that. As we move on, scenario three, uh, we are talking to someone who is already active elsewhere. They, rec they might recognize abortion as important, 
Um, but they're, you know, they're, they do their regular soup kitchen um, volunteering and in their local soup kitchen or wherever it might be. Now, I do want to say off the bat that uh, by, by all means, I mean, it is a, it is important for us to get involved in the, in the local soup kitchen, to get involved with homelessness in our city, perhaps in some other things as well. But how do we talk to people who say abortion might be important? It might be a good issue to talk about. But um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm doing something over here. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing is is to do exactly what you mentioned of, of validating their involvement. Um, and and I, I always think about a, a guy that I talked to at, at a Florida um, abortion awareness project. Um, we were at University of Central Florida, which is one of the larger universities in Florida, and he was talking about. Um, child soldiers in Central Africa. He was talking about an ongoing genocide that was happening um, and and how they were sweeping through, um, I, I believe at the time it was Sudan, um, and and killing tons of people. And, and he was saying, not only was it important for him to be involved in that, but that I should be stopping what I was doing, that I should be more apathetic towards abortion so that I could be more present and active towards this violence. And I, I started by affirming him in his involvement in that injustice, recognizing that we absolutely need people who are addressing these scenarios. What I did next was I actually challenged how we determine the hierarchy or the urgency of issues. And how I did that was I asked, I challenged him on the notion of would that genocide be even worse if what they were doing, it wasn't just that they were killing everybody, but they were specifically targeting the women and children. And he said, obviously, yeah, if, if they're going after the weaker and more vulnerable people, that makes it even worse. Okay, and so what if they're just going after those who have disabilities and they're attacking people who can't even defend themselves against them? Yes, that makes it even worse. And what if what they were doing was that they were going after weak and vulnerable people who could not defend themselves in any way, and they had the protection of the government, that there weren't other forces that were trying to stop them, there was no resistance, there was no force that were trying to stop them, but this was just part and parcel with what was going on in society. Would that make it even worse? And he said, yeah. And then I pointed to the picture that I was standing in front of, and I said, I just described to you abortion in America. These are literally the weakest and most vulnerable people. They are not able to fight back in any way. They're not able to defend themselves in any way. They are the weakest and most vulnerable. And this is happening with the permission of our government, with the support of our government, with the support of our churches and everyone. This is happening in our own backyard. Don't you think it would make sense to prioritize a massive injustice of that nature that is literally happening in our own backyard? And he thought about it and he said, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. We need people who are fighting overseas, but we need more people who are fighting domestically for the weakest and most vulnerable. And so this isn't a matter of one-upmanship. This isn't a matter of trying to stop people from volunteering at the soup kitchen or, or um, other places. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who want to volunteer at the soup kitchen. There's people who sometimes get turned away from volunteering at the soup kitchen because they already have enough volunteers there. I think we absolutely need to look at the most urgent um, cases, most urgent injustices in our own backyards and realize that the greater the discrepancy in the power dynamic, the greater often the injustice, right? I, I talked to a fella um, in Calgary here who um, initially was very, very apathetic towards everything. And we talked about how um, domestic violence 
abuse of women is despicable and disgusting because oftentimes the power and strength balance is different between men and women. And, and if a guy wants to go and beat up other guys, then he can. But if he turns that rage and violence towards a woman, towards a child, that's absolutely inappropriate. And so I just had to draw that line out. What if we increase the discrepancy of power and ability? Doesn't that make things even worse? And then the last thing I do, Peter, is I challenge them to diversify their social portfolio, as it were. We often talk about financial portfolios. We often talk about diversifying your financial portfolio so that um, if one stock that you're invested in um, goes down the tube, then you're not completely ruined. It works a little bit differently when it comes to a social portfolio, but understanding that though you might dedicate the majority of your time and energy towards one particular cause that you have a particular heart for, maybe somebody in your family has experienced mental health issues and you want to focus on that. Maybe you're, you're in cancer research um, because um, of a, a passion or skill set or whatever. We're not saying that you have to divide your time evenly between everything. But giving them opportunities to, again, get involved with small portions of their time, their finances, and even their prayer support. In that we all need to be cognizant, like you mentioned, of the injustices going on around us. And we should be doing little bits here and there for as many things as we can. And then simply trying to discern where we can have the greatest impact. Where's the greatest urgency? And where can you make the greatest impact based on your life journey and your current skill set, I guess? That's good. And I just want to highlight um, one of the principles that you're using when you're having these conversations. We've talked about it on the program in the past, but it's the principle we call trotting out the toddler, right? I, I mean, you're, you recognize the injustice of abortion and what you're doing to try and get the person in front of you to see the horrific nature of abortion as well is to kind of trot out the toddler, bring the same sort of circumstances to light, but um, for a born child, for a born person, uh, you know, whether they be an adult or a teenager or whoever it might be, and just highlight that, you know, injustices of this nature outside of the womb are horrific. We need to get involved. Um, and then, as you said, Kim, each and every time you said you pointed back to the image, you you brought the attention back on the preborn children to, to show that this very thing is happening in Canada. This very thing is legal in Canada. And most people in Canada are not doing anything about it. So that's the that's the principle there. It's trotting out the toddler. That's the apologetic tool. And I just want to say as well, Cam, that uh, like you've had a thousand conversations, you've had 10,000 conversations. Um, and, and so you've been able to use this plenty of times. And it, it's, it gets easy af easier after a while because you have your analogies that you use, you're, you're able to work through them in your mind, but also on the streets, you have the practice. But I just want to highlight that for those of you who do do stuff on the streets, do have conversations, it's really helpful when you're in conversations to take some time beforehand to practice some of these analogies, to work your way through them, to ask the questions yourself, just to get it in your mind so that you're not stumbling over your words when you have those conversations, but you're able to articulate your thoughts clearly so that the other person will understand. And with that, uh, let's go to the fourth type of person uh, who might be apathetic towards the cause of abortion. And this is the person who is burnt out. And, and this is the person who, who's been burnt out before because of the, they've been fighting injustices or, or fighting for particular causes. And they're just reluctant to enter the ring once again, 
because of the experiences that they've had. They've seen their limitations. They don't want that to happen again. They don't want to be hurt like that again. They don't want to have to have their life perhaps interrupted like that again. I've been burnt out before and it, it, it took a month out of my life. Just being in bed, hardly working. I wasn't able to do very much. But for people who have gotten burnt out, Cam, who are talking to on the streets, who just feel this emotional and mental exhaustion just to think about the issue because of the experiences they've had in the past, what are some good ways that we can respond to them in our conversations? Mm -hmm. So this this is something I've seen play down, especially in the pro-life movement a number of times. I The number of people that I've talked to, there's one guy in particular that, that actually reached out after he received one of our postcards who said, you know what, I, I was active in the pro-life movement for almost 20 years doing vigils outside of the local abortion facility and just person after person just drove right past me. There was nothing that I could say. There was nothing that I could do to change their mind. Um, and so I gave up. I, I just, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with the heartbreak. It is too emotionally draining. And I think the, what, what I was able to do and what I would encourage others to do is to affirm that commitment to recognize the sacrifice that they've already made and really legitimize that, really legitimize what they've gone through, what they've sacrificed and the impact that they've had and, and try to share with them the fact that sometimes we don't get to see the fruits of our labor, right? That sometimes, uh, and this is something that I find especially challenging for people who do sidewalk counseling. Right, that, that Peter, you and I, when we're having conversations, when we're not in that 11th hour and people have already spiritually aborted their child and you're trying to revive that child even before they're dead in the hearts of the mothers that are bringing them to the abortion facility, you and I, when, when we're on street corners, it can be a lot easier because this can be a little bit more theoretical for people. They're not in that terrifying pregnancy. That's why there's tremendous value in going to the college campuses and high schools and street corners to change people's minds before they even become pregnant. But for those that have spent time there, I feel that a lot of them can get really discouraged, especially in Canada here. We hear these glorious stories um, from the states and other countries where 40 Days for Life, they're tearing down abortion facilities, they're counseling women out of, out of abortions. And here in Canada with our bubble zones and whatnot, rarely can we even interact with people. Uh, the um, abortions in Canada are often performed in places where they could be going in and getting any number of other medical services. And it can be discouraging. And so validating the emotional distress and strain that goes upon them and, and recognizing that and then inviting them into an um, a place of, of op not optimism, but inspiration, sharing with them that things are starting to change in Canada. We have more and more young people who are becoming not only pro-life, but actively pro-life. And sharing again those baby steps that we mentioned for that second person in giving them concrete tools that can have a meaningful impact. That this isn't a matter of, okay, well, I guess it's time to throw all of my time and energy in, and it's time to get hurt again kind of thing. Maybe they are in that position. But I remember hearing um, a, a sermon from, from a pastor that, that said, sometimes we need a breather. Just like any athlete needs a breather at times, um, you, you can't play the whole game at full intensity. But once you've had your breather, you have to get back out on the field. Once you've stopped for water during the marathon, you have to get back out on the course. And that can be a gradual process. If you've got cramps during your marathon, if you're dehydrated, you might have to stop for a little bit. But sooner or later, you might be able to start walking. 
walking back into it and making some tangible differences, getting closer to the finish line, as it were, and then picking up the pace possibly and fighting the good fight and finishing that race as we're called to do. This is something that we can invite them to do again with very simple, very concrete steps that will have meaningful differences. I have a profound amount of respect and you should too for people who have laid the groundwork for the pro-life movement and, and whether it's pro-life movement or whether it's other stuff, right? I mean, we talk about standing on the shoulders of giants and we need to be appreciative of the people who have set the stage, who have held aloft that torch of, of just trying to offer light in, in places of darkness. And sometimes we can ask what their goals were of like, is it fair to say that when you got involved in the pro-life movement, you weren't hoping for universal recognition and applause for the work that you were doing? No, no, I was just trying to trying to make a difference. Well, you have made a difference because it's your involvement that has helped people like me get involved now, right? That if, if there had been a missing link, if the pro-life movement had died entirely, then what are the chances that, that Peter, you and I would be here doing a pro-life podcast if we didn't have the Stephanie Gray Connors of the world, the, the um, not, not that she's that much older than us, but the, the people who have held the, um, the torch in our communities, who have kept 40 Days for Life going and have kept other stuff going. There's tremendous stuff that we can do right now. And a lot of that is because of what has been done in the past. And so validating and recognizing the sacrifices that they've made and then offering again those concrete and encouraging steps for how they can start making um, a difference with um, low levels of involvement. They don't have to burn themselves on again. They can get involved in small but meaningful ways, I guess. Yeah. And I, you know, I just want to add something here as well that I've had some, some success with in conversations with pro-lifers, whether it be on the streets or even in my own family uh, and friend group. It's just to recognize the, the greater context of the story we're in. The story we're in seems to be very dark. It seems to be full of injustice, but recognizing the greater context, the fa uh, context, uh, the fact that, you know, this situation is in our God's hands and that ultimately success, you know, it, it's not up to us. It's not up to our very good arguments and our very good conversations, uh, but it's, it's up to, to God in many ways. And we're tasked with faithfulness. Now, when, when I say we're tas tasked with faithfulness, that doesn't mean, you know, we're faithful. We just do anything. That means we're faithful and, and hopefully God does something. We are to do what is effective and so on and so forth. But we're tasked with faithfulness. And I can think of, of several moments in the time that I've done activism where I was discouraged going to a high school, having conversations with university students uh, and others as well. Just having conversations, you, it seems you're making no headway. It just seems like, you know, what am I doing here? Really? What am I doing here? Uh, it doesn't seem like any change is happening at all. And then you go back to those locations later on. You have similar or the same conversation. You have conversations rather with the same people later on. And they share with you that, you know, the conversation you had with them, even though they didn't change their mind then, you know, they sat with the images. They sat with the way that you, you treated them. They sat with some of the arguments that you shared with them. And in the face of a, of a school or at a context that they are in that is hostile to the pro-life position, they now are pro-life. They now recognize abortion for what it is. And so recognizing that, you know, we are faithful in the moments that we are faithful. We are creating change that we know not of. I mean, we know some of the change that's happening, but we don't know all of it. And so if we keep going out, God will continue to use us um, and, you know, use the images that we show, use the conversations that we have. 
with with the people that we interact with. And so if you're dealing with uh, people who are apathetic on the streets, these are just a few of the ways that we do it when we're out having conversations and we hope this is useful for you as well. And I just want to highlight at the end as well that if you're apathetic, if you're listening to this, you recognize uh, perhaps yourself in one of these these four different types of, of apathy, four different types of people, or perhaps you're listening to this thinking like, you know what, like, man, what, what can I do? I just want to challenge you that in many ways, the world has enough apathetic people. The world has enough people not doing anything about the injustices around them. And we want to challenge you. We want to invite you to step up to the plate to recognize the injustice for what it is. I think about some of my colleagues here, Cam, at, uh, at CCBR. Some of the colleagues, they've wept over abortion. They have, they've recognized abortion in really emotional ways. It took a, an emotional toll, mental toll, uh, and they wept over it before they got involved. And some others that, that we work with were like, I, I, you know, I don't have this emotional sort of um, reaction when I see abortion images or abortion videos, but I, I know it's an injustice. Like I'm not crying about it, but I know it's wrong. And therefore I have to do something about it. Both of those types of people work with us at CCBR. And, and maybe you don't have that emotional response. Maybe you think I first need to be absolutely completely broken and crushed by the reality of abortion. The truth is, I mean, we, re, we know what it is. We know what abortion is. And so we want to challenge you to step up to the plate as well. There are a lot of dragons that need slaying in our culture and there are precious few nights doing anything about it and so well we can't uh we can't say that your armor is going to stay shiny once you enter the fray the lord blesses the faithful dragon slayer and uh and and you will be part of the work that is you know pushing back on a culture that loves death uh with the message that loves that the message of life that the truth about who the preborn are and the awful reality of what abortion does to them. And you too can be part of changing minds, saving lives, and transforming our culture, whether it be here in Canada, whether it be in your nation, wherever that is, we want to encourage you to get involved. We want to encourage you to fight these dragons. We want to encourage, encourage you to stand up in the face of evil and say, not on my watch. Well, everyone, we are the Pro-Life Guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, if you want to get active and you're in Canada, uh, you can do that by going to our website, the, the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reforms website, endthekilling.ca. There's a Take Action tab. If you hit the volunteer button, you can sign up, fill in a little form, and we will connect you to communities, a pro-life pro community in your community. You can get some training uh, that we can provide as well. And you too can be involved in fighting the greatest injustice of our time. If you're in the United States, if you're in other parts of the world, reach out to us. We have connections all over the place. We'll be able to connect you to pro-lifers in your area so that you too can get active. And if there are no pro-lifers in your, your area, we want to encourage you. I mean, someone started the organization we work for. Someone started every organization. There are more organizations to start in different places, different places of the world, different parts of the world. And many of us are here to give you insights to help you out as you navigate your way through that journey. So do reach out to us. We love hearing from you, prolifeguys.com. We have a contact form. You can also reach out to us on our social media channels, uh, be that YouTube, the Pro-Life Guys podcast, uh, by searching the Pro-Life Guys podcast, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gab, MeWe, uh, and some other social media platforms that are far more, more obscure than any of those. So reach out to us. We love to hear from you. Cam, I don't know if there's anything you want to say before we wrap up? 
just to, to continue encouraging you, I, I know there's a lot of you that have been discouraged. I'm sure that there's some of you who have even um, been yourselves in that that fourth category of, of having experienced burnout. Um, we are not in this alone. I think you made such a great point there, Peter, that, that this is not up to ourselves. Our God is sovereign and and it is he who changes hearts and minds. And, and we're simply asked to be faithful, doing the most effective work that we can. And so I definitely want to reiterate that. And also just a clarification, I, I think this goes without saying, but obviously if people are apathetic because they don't believe that a preborn child is human, then you're just talking to the human rights argument. You're having a standard apologetics conversation if they don't recognize them as human, which is why they're, they don't care about abortion. This whole episode is about, they do recognize them as human. They just aren't mobilized towards it. And so hopefully that, that clarification was clear anyways through the episode. Um, but if they don't think that they're going to be, that they are human, then obviously they're not going to be mobilized until they do view them as human. So the human rights argument and the standard apologetics that we cover every episode. But no, I, I hope this has been helpful. And and if you have more tools for how you have been able to mobilize apathetic people around you, we'd love to hear them as well. Share them on our website, share them on social media. We'd love to hear from you that way as well. That's a, that's a good clarification that you share, Cam. And I hope that was implied in and just you know the things we said but anyway there it is at the end of the episode hopefully you made it here <laughs> and you heard that once again i want to uh, highlight uh becoming a patron of the pro-life guys podcast helping us get the message out to more and more people thank you so much to our patrons already you uh, you guys are great um we thank you so much for your partnership with us if you want to get involved patreon.com slash pro-life guys patreon.com slash pro-life guys thank you so much everyone for tuning in. We uh, are extremely grateful. My name is Peter. That's Cam. We're the hosts of the show and we hope you tune in again next week. God bless you all. <laughs> <laughs>